Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 769. Chapter 116. Height. I was almost beginning to feel comfortable and hurt. My language was improving, and I felt less isolated now that I was able to exchange brief pleasantries with others. Bachette occasionally shared meals with me, helping me feel like slightly less of a pariah. We had done sword work this morning, which meant an easy start to the day. Bachette was still showing me how the sword was incorporated into the Ketan, and the moments we fought were few and far between. After a few hours of this, we worked on my edemic, then more sword work. After lunch, we moved on to hand fighting. I couldn't help but feel that here, at least, I was progressing well. After half an hour, not only was Vachette breathing harder, but she began to sweat a bit. I was still no sort of challenge to her, of course, but after days of humiliating nonchalance on her part, she was finally having to put forth a shred of effort to keep ahead of me. So we continued to fight, and I noticed that, how can I say this delicately? She smelled wonderful. Not like perfume or flowers or anything like that. She smelled like clean sweat and oiled metal and crushed grass from when I'd thrown her to the ground some time before. It was a good smell. She... I can't describe this delicately, I suppose. What I mean to say is that she smelled like sex. Not as if she'd been having it as if she was made of it. When she came in close to grapple me, the smell of her combined with her body pressed against mine. For a second, it was like someone had thrown a switch in my head. All I could think of was kissing her mouth, biting the soft skin of her neck, tearing at her clothes, and licking the sweat off. I did none of these things, of course, but at the moment... I wanted nothing more. This is embarrassing to look back on, but I will not bother defending the end of the page. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And there's no Nick today, so Jordana and Jeremy will play. Nick is traveling the world as we speak, texting us pictures from his hotel room, uh, showing us the wondrous conveniences uh, in far-off lands. Meanwhile, in the far-off lands of the book, we are here. Talking about how sexy Vashad is. Indeed. <laughs> what, where do you want to start on this page? Because just a horny teenager. That's like plain and simple. Like that's exactly what's happening here. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say yes and. Because it's not just that he's a horny teenager. He's horny in a specific way for a person that he's grown familiar with. And he's having that experience of like when you suddenly realize that like, oh, I'm not just like friendly and comfortable with this person. I find them attractive and... I am finding every little thing about them attractive. Horny teenagers don't get turned on by just like smelling a random person. They get You get turned on by smelling a person who you're already attracted to in some way. Okay, fair, reasonable, very reasonable. I agree. But I also feel like it's a, it feels like a very teenager-y thing because I feel like this doesn't like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, not a horny enough adult, but I feel like Things that, like, would have been slightly closer to this in, like, 
teen times. Like, I definitely have none of that now. <laughs> oh, I do. Okay. Well, like, I guess it's just me that. I have definitely been in not necessarily sexy situations with people who I have grown close to and realized that I'm becoming attracted to. And then I will realize like, oh, I really like the way this person smells. A month ago, I wouldn't have noticed the way they smell, but now I do and I like it. And it's not necessarily like a perfume thing or or whatever. Sometimes it's just like the natural way a person smells. And then of course, the the trope of like, getting sexy while you are fighting or sparring with someone is as old as the hills. It appears in all yeah, kinds all the, of Yeah, all that media. adrenaline. Yeah, bodies close together. You're grappling. You're getting sweaty. Like, it is intimate. Yeah, fighting, very sexy. It is, it is. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why that's a trope. If you want to get, like, a l- drill down on it a little bit, one can argue that it, the two most intimate things you can do with a person are f*** them and kill them. Oh, yeah, I guess, uh, sure, yeah, I guess. Uh, and I'm certainly not the first person to make that observation. I never really thought about killing someone as being intimate, but that's definitely true. I just never really thought about it that way. I think it depends how you do it, you know? But, like, you can see why art loves to make the erotic connection between sex and death when you imagine the the villain sidling up to the hero or the hero's, you know, love interest or the hero's, like, you know, favorite dog or whatever and, like, slowly agonizingly like shoving a knife into them and twisting it seeing the victims like pained you know rictus their last dying breath they like lean in close to whisper something like there is something sexy about it (laughs) i mean i don't sure (laughs) you can make that something sexy if you want to and many people want to okay reasonable i love the the uh understatement the sort of damning with faint praise when Quoth is like, oh, I was getting better at hand-to-hand fighting because Vashit had to start like putting in a little bit of effort to beat me instead of just handing me my ass without even trying. I suppose Quoth's being kind of humble? I don't know. Uh, I think he is being humble. He's being humble and saying that like, I was getting better, but me getting better just means that my teacher had to start working for it a little bit to beat me rather than just being able to beat me out, like out of hand i was i was doing well enough that it made her start having to work <laughs> yeah i feel like we don't get a lot of quoth kind of sucking at something and knowing that he sucks at something so i appreciate this moment i don't know if i agree with that because he also sucks at Eladin's naming class okay that's fair actually yes reasonable i guess the difference is he thinks that that's Aladdin's fault somehow. <laughs> yeah, he's like frustrated by it rather than like willing to accept that there is space for him to put in more effort. Yeah, and I think it it takes the lessons that he learns in this book for him to come back to Aladdin and be like, "You know what? I have been unfair to you. I have not been I have not been applying myself properly to the way you're trying to teach me." But I think that it takes the lessons that he learns from Valerian and from from Vashet for him to get there. I think what you're identifying correctly is that in this sequence, he's bad at something and he he understands that, I guess, because Vashet isn't trying to teach him something as ineffable when as naming when she's trying to teach him how to fight, he finds it easier to accept like, okay, there is like a learnable skill to this that I just have to master and get better at, and it will take me time and practice, but I can understand logically 
how it will work. Whereas I think the place that's closer to naming is the learning the Lathani, right? The Lathani is ineffable and not logical and requires you to kind of like abandon your ego or your your ability to like reason your way through things. And that's the part that Quoth, I think, finds frustrating and frustrating in a way that he doesn't think is fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the distinction that we're coming around to is that like when Vashet beats Quoth in a fight, he's like, well, that's fair. You know, I understand how you beat me. And he doesn't understand because he doesn't understand the logic of the Lathani because it does not have the kind of rational logic that he would prefer. He doesn't think it's fair. I see. I mean, do you agree with me or not? I'm just throwing out an opinion here. Yeah, no, I don't not agree with you. I just haven't decided. I'm fence sitting. Uh huh. Uh huh. Your favorite, I know. Typical. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say on this page? No. I feel like this page was kind of not necessarily one note, but less notes than usual. (laughs) Would you, should we read a letter? I think we should read a letter. Mailbag. All right. So here is a letter from Haiku on memory versus reality. On page uh, 680, what is reality without memory? Without a record, did it happen? To tax accountants, no. To rulers of great civilizations who can't humanly see the little things, no. This suggests that the power which is propped up by civilization must be accepted and wielded by all members of civilization in order to realize arrogance for what it is, which can't humanly happen. Will Quoth pursue the Cathay as an opponent? The Cathay is a being in a position to plant memories, to merge realities, perhaps with success, perhaps experimentally. To plant a particular reality in Quoth's memory would be irresistible for a being such as the Cathay. This particular memory evokes suggestion of rape of Quoth's mother before murder. Does such a memory memory reality seed further false or merge alternate reality, memory realities of Quoth being raped in Tarbine? In many ways, the Cathay appears to be the eyes of the Chandrian, or do the Chandrian have the gift of the sight of the Cathay? Blood, bracken, and bone. Want, ability, reason, of which I have none. Signed, Haiku. That's a lot to think of. That's a lot to think about. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I just don't don't agree with the premise that the Cathay is in a position to plant memories because that's not what it does. Uh, it is just saying to Quoth, "Hey, I saw this thing happen." Right? Quoth doesn't remember that that happened, and I don't think that there's evidence in the text to suggest that memory is changeable. And people like that's why eyewitness testimony is unreliable because people. People will literally change what they remember happening. But I don't think there's any evidence in the text to suggest that that's what the Cathay does to Quoth and that Quoth then remembers what happened to his parents differently by filling in the details that the Cathay provides. So I don't think that I jive with that premise. I I also don't think the Cathay can plant memories, but I do think that it says things to make you potentially fill in the gaps incorrectly. Yes, yes. It's saying, you didn't see this happen, but I did, and here's what I think happened. I think it's saying, you didn't see this happen, but I did, and here's what I know what happened. Yes. Because I think the Cathay knows things. Yes, yes. But it okay. it doesn't say anything specific, right? It doesn't say, they did terrible things to your mother and your dad blubbered like a baby. But it doesn't say like, oh, they stabbed her 16 times in the gut and then yeah. Terrible things is uh terribly vague. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that's part of what makes it so insidious is that that is letting Quoth fill in the gaps through implication. Although even then, 
I don't know that I think that the implication there is rape. Oh, no, I, I, I don't think the implication there is rape either. I mean, it could be. And like, I wouldn't put it past the Chandrian. And I certainly wouldn't put it past Kvoth to fill in that gap because he's try- he's like imagining the worst possible thing that could have happened to his parents. All of which is to say, I, I don't think that I agree with this reading, but I can see how one would be able to point at the text to say that the text supports it. Yes, I agree. Uh, I am I am of the same mind as you. All right, Jordana comes off the fence for a very yes, special episode. To agree with Jeremy, uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like any specific action is implicit just because it's so vague. Like it's something terrible could be literally anything. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to imply terrible things on tomorrow's page of the wind. wind.